0: Chapter Three of A Shepherd's Life by William Henry Hudson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three Winterborne Bishop. A Favorite Village. Isolated Situation. Appearance of the Village. Hedge fruit, The Winterborne. Human Interest. The Home Feeling. Man in Harmony with Nature. Human Bones thrown out by a Rabbit. A Spot Unspoiled and Unchanged of the few widely separated villages hidden away among the lonely downs in the large blank spaces between the rivers the one i love best is Winterborne bishop yet of the entire number i know them all intimately i dare say it would be pronounced by most persons the least attractive it has less shade from trees in summer and is more exposed in winter to the bleak winds of this high country from whichever quarter they may blow placed high itself on a wide unwooded valley or depression with the low sloping downs at some distance away the village is about as cold a place to pass a winter in as one could find in this district and it may be added the most inconvenient to live in at any time the nearest town or the easiest to get to being salisbury twelve miles distant by a hilly road The only means of getting to that great centre of life, which the inhabitants possess, is by carrier's cart, which makes the weary four hours' journey once a week, on market-day. Naturally, not many of them see that place of delights oftener than once a year, and some but once in five or more years. Then, as to the village itself, when you have got down into its one long, rather winding street or road, this has a green bank five or six feet high on either side on which stand the cottages mostly facing the road real houses there are none buildings worthy of being called houses in these great days unless the three small farmhouses are considered better than cottages and the rather mean-looking rectory the rector poor man is very poor just in the middle part where the church stands in its green churchyard the shadiest spot in the village a few of the cottages are close together almost touching then farther apart twenty yards or so then farther still forty or fifty yards they are small old cottages a few have seventeenth-century dates cut on stone tablets on their fronts but the undated ones look equally old some thatched others tiled but none particularly attractive certainly they are without the added charm of a green drapery creeper or ivy rose clematis and honeysuckle and they are also mostly without the cottage garden flowers unprofitably gay like the blossoming firs but dear to the soul the flowers we find in so many of the villages along the rivers especially in those of the wiley valley to be described in a later chapter the trees i have said are few though the churchyard is shady where you can refresh yourself beneath its ancient beeches and its one wide-branching yew or sit on a tomb in the sun when you wish for warmth and brightness the trees growing by or near the street are mostly ash or beech with a pine or two old but not large and there are small or dwarf yew holly and thorn trees very little fruit is grown two or three to half a dozen apple and damson trees are called an orchard and one is sorry for the children but in late summer and autumn they get their fruit from the hedges these run up towards the downs on either side of the village at right angles with its street long unkept hedges beautiful with scarlet haws and traveller's joy rich in bramble and elderberries and purple sloes and nuts a thousand times more nuts than the little dormice require for their own modest wants finally to go back to its disadvantages the village is waterless at all events in summer when water is most wanted water is such a blessing and joy in a village a joy for ever when it flows throughout the year as at nether stowey and winsford and burton on the water to mention but three of all those happy villages in the land which are known to most of us what man on coming to such places and watching the rushing sparkling foaming torrent by day and listening to its splashing gurgling sounds by night does not resolve that he will live in no village that has not a perennial stream in it. This unblessed high and dry village has nothing but the winter-born which gives it its name, a sort of surname common to a score or two villages in Wiltshire, Dorset, Somerset, and Hants. Here the bed of the stream lies by the bank on one side of the village street, and when the autumn and early winter rains have fallen abundantly the hidden reservoirs within the chalk hills are filled to overflowing then the water finds its way out and fills the dry old channel and sometimes turns the whole street into a rushing river to the immense joy of the village children they are like ducks hatched and reared at some upland farm where there was not even a muddy pool to dibble in for a season the wet one the village women have water at their own doors and can go out and dip pails in it as often as they want when spring comes it is still flowing merrily trying to make you believe that it is going to flow forever beautiful green water-loving plants and grasses spring up and flourish along the roadside and you may see comfrey and water forget-me-not in flower pools too have been formed in some deep hollow places they are fringed with tall grasses whitened over with bloom of water crow foot and poa grass grows up from the bottom to spread its green tresses over the surface better still by and by a couple of stray moor hens make their appearance in the pool strange birds colored glossy olive brown slashed with white with splendid scarlet and yellow beaks if by some strange chance a shining blue kingfisher were to appear it could not create a greater excitement so much attention do they receive that the poor strangers have no peace of their own lives it is a happy time for the children and a good time for the busy housewife who has all the water she wants for cooking and washing and cleaning she may now dash as many pailfuls over her brick floor as she likes then the clear swift current begins to diminish and scarcely have you had time to notice the change than it is altogether gone the women must go back to the well and let the bucket down and laboriously turn and turn the handle of the windlass till it bounced to the top again the pretty moist green herbage the graceful grasses quickly wither away dust and straws and rubbish from the road lie in the dry channel and by-and-by it is filled with a summer growth of dock and loveless nettles which no child may touch with impunity no i cannot think that any person for whom it had no association no secret interest would after looking at this village with its dried-up winter-born care to make his home in it and no person i imagine wants to see it FOR IT HAS NO SPECIAL ATTRACTION AND IS AWAY FROM ANY ROAD AT A DISTANCE FROM EVERYWHERE. I KNEW A GREAT MANY VILLAGES IN Salisbury PLAIN AND WAS ALWAYS ADDING TO THEIR NUMBER, BUT THERE WAS NO INTENTION OF VISITING THIS ONE. PERHAPS THERE IS NOT A VILLAGE ON THE PLAIN, OR ANYWHERE IN WILTSHIRE, FOR THAT MATTER, WHICH SEES FEWER STRANGERS. Then I fell in with the old shepherd, whose life will be related in the succeeding chapters, and who, away from his native place, had no story about his past life and the lives of those he had known. No thought in his mind, I might almost say, which was not connected with the village of Winterbourne Bishop. And many of his anecdotes and reflections proved so interesting that I fell into the habit of putting them down in my note-book, until, in the end, the place itself, where he had followed his homely trade so long, seeing and feeling so much, drew me to it. I knew there was nothing to see in it, that it was without the usual attractions, that there was, in fact, nothing but the human interest. But that was enough. So I came to it to satisfy an idle curiosity, just to see how it would accord with the mental picture produced by his descriptions of it. I came, I may say, prepared to like the place for the sole but sufficient reason that it had been his home. Had it not been for this feeling he had produced in me, I should not, I imagine, have cared to stay long in it. As it was, I did stay, then came again, and found that it was growing on me. I wondered why, for the mere interest in the old shepherd's life memories did not seem enough to account for this deepening attachment.' it began to seem to me that i liked it more and more because of its very barrenness the entire absence of all the features which make a place attractive noble scenery woods and waters deer parks and old houses tudor elizabethan jacobean stately and beautiful full of art treasures ancient monuments and historical associations there were none of these things there was nothing here but that wide vacant expanse very thinly populated with humble rural folk farmers shepherds laborers living in very humble houses england is so full of riches in ancient monuments and grand and interesting and lovely buildings and objects and scenes that it is perhaps too rich for we may get into the habit of looking for such things expecting them at every turn every mile of the way i found it a relief at winterbourne bishop to be in a country which had nothing to draw a man out of a town a wide empty land with nothing on it to look at but a furze-bush or when i had gained the summit of the down and to get a little higher still stood on the top of one of its many barrows a sight of the distant village its low grey or reddish-brown cottages half hidden among its few trees the square stone tower of its little church, looking at a distance no taller than a milestone. That emptiness seemed good for both mind and body. I could spend long hours idly sauntering, or sitting, or lying on the turf, thinking of nothing, or only of one thing, that it was a relief to have no thoughts about anything. But, no, something was secretly saying to me all the time that it was more than what I have said— which continued to draw me to this vacant place more than the mere relief experienced on coming back to nature and solitude and the freedom of a wide earth and sky i was not fully conscious of what that something more was until after repeated visits on each occasion it was a pleasure to leave salisbury behind and set out on that long hilly road and the feeling would keep with me all the journey even in bad weather sultry or cold or with the wind hard against me, blowing the white chalk dust into my eyes. From the time I left the turnpike to go the last two and a half to three miles by the side road, I would gaze eagerly ahead for a sight of my destination long before it could possibly be seen, until, on gaining the summit of a low intervening down, the wished scene would be disclosed, the vale-like wide depression with its line of trees blue-green in the distance flecks of red and gray color of the houses among them and at that sight there would come a sense of elation like that of coming home this in fact was the secret this empty place was in its aspect despite the difference in configuration between down and undulating plain more like the home of my early years than any other place known to me in the country. I can note many differences, but they do not deprive me of this home feeling. It is the likenesses that hold me, the spirit of the place, one which is not a desert with a desert's melancholy or sense of desolation, but inhabited, although thinly and by humble-minded men, whose work and dwellings are unobtrusive the final effect of this wide green space with signs of human life and labor on it and sight of animals sheep and cattle at various distances is that we are not aliens here intruders or invaders on the earth living in it but apart perhaps hating and spoiling it but with the very animals our children of nature like them living and seeking our subsistence under her sky familiar with her sun and wind and rain if some ostentatious person had come to this strangely quiet spot and raised a staring big house the sight of it in the landscape would have made it impossible to have such a feeling as i have described this sense of man's harmony and oneness with nature from how much of england has this expression which nature has for the spirit which is so much more to us than beauty of scenery been blotted out this quiet spot in wiltshire has been inhabited from of old how far back in time the barrows raised by an ancient barbarous people are there to tell us and to show us how long it is possible for the race of men in all stages of culture to exist on the earth without spoiling it One afternoon, while walking on Bishop Down, I noticed at a distance of a hundred yards or more that a rabbit had started making a burrow in a new place, and had thrown out a vast quantity of earth. Going to the spot to see what kind of chalk or soil he was digging so deeply in, I found that he had thrown out a human thigh-bone, and a rib or two. They were of a reddish-white colour, and had been embedded in a hard mixture of chalk and red earth the following day i went again and there were more bones and every day after that the number increased until it seemed to me that he had brought out the entire skeleton minus the skull which i had been curious to see then the bones disappeared the man who looked after the game had seen them and recognizing that they were human remains had judiciously taken them away to destroy or stow them away in some safe place for if the village constable had discovered them or heard of their presence he would perhaps have made a fuss and even thought it necessary to communicate with the coroner of the district such things occasionally happen even in wiltshire where the chalk hills are full of the bones of dead men and a solemn crowner's quest is held on the remains of a saxon or dane or an ancient briton when some important person a sir richard colt Hoare, for example who dug up three hundred and seventy-nine barrows in wiltshire or a general Pitt rivers throws out human remains nobody minds but if an unauthorized rabbit kicks out a lot of bones the matter should be inquired into but the man whose bones had been thus thrown out into the sunlight after lying so long at that spot which commanded a view of the distant little village looking so small in that immense green space who and what he was and how long ago did he live on the earth at winterborne bishop let us say there were two barrows in that part of the down but quite a stone's throw away from the spot where the rabbit was working so that he may not have been one of the people of that period still it is probable that he was buried a very long time ago centuries back perhaps a thousand years perhaps longer and by chance there was a slope there which prevented the water from percolating and the soil in which he had been deposited under that close-knit turf which looks as if it had never been disturbed was one in which bones might keep uncrumbled for ever the thought that occurred to me at the time was that if the man himself had come back to life after so long a period to stand once more on that down surveying the scene he would have noticed little change in it certainly nothing of a startling description the village itself looking so small at that distance in the centre of the vast depression would probably not be strange to him it was doubtless there as far back as history goes and probably still farther back in time For at that point, just where the Winterbourne gushes out from the low hills, is the spot man would naturally select to make his home. And he would see no mansion or big building, no puff of white steam, and sight of a long black train creeping over the earth, nor any other strange thing. It would appear to him, even as he knew it before he fell asleep, the same familiar scene, with firs and bramble and bracken on the slope, the wide expanse with sheep and cattle grazing in the distance, and the dark green of trees in the hollows, and fold on fold of the low down beyond, stretching away to the dim farthest horizon. End of chapter 3